Hare Krishna. Good morning to everyone. Hare Krishna. Welcome everyone to the Srimad Bhagavatam Discourse here in Dallas, Texas. I know some of you are listening online from distant places. Sit in with us this morning and hear some philosophy. We even have Gurukul kids coming in and now going to school. Hare Krishna. We're pleased that everyone has come. Samuel, can you find me a pair of cartels, please? Thank you, thank you, everyone, for who, who is here in the temple compound. We thank you very much for being with us this morning. And we hope that this philosophical discourse does something for your day. Thank you very much. My name is Rupanogadas. I'm a disciple of His Holiness Tamal Krishna Goswami and grand disciple of His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Before we begin our discourse this morning, and, and by the way, we'll be continuing our reading in the second chapter of the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. We'll be, uh, we'll be speaking from text number four. So any of you who has your copy of, of the Srimad Bhagavatam close at hand, please turn with us and get ready for reading along with us. That's Canto 1, Chapter 2, Text Number 4. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a shloka or a text or a verse that you have heard many times before. And before we even begin uh, our discourse on the Srimad Bhagavatam this morning, we're going to be reciting that text. And you'll recognize it as soon as you hear it. But it, as for now, let us let us begin by invoking the blessings of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and we'll do a little chanting before we begin speaking. Jaya Radha Matahava Kunjabi Hare Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hare Jai Gopi Janavallabha Girivaradhari Jai Gopi Janavalabha Girivaradhari Jashodanandana Bhajajana Ranjana Yashuranandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Bandachari Jamuna Bandachari Jai Radha 
Madhava Kunjabi Hare Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hare Let I go to Premananda, Hari Hari Bo. Jai Om Vishnu Pad Paramahansa Paripitaka Charja Hasto Tadasata Sri Srimad. His Divine Grace of Hayachana Ravinda Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj Yil Prabhupada Ki. Jai Om Vishnu Pada Paramahamsa Parivijaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Sri Srimadis Divine Grace Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Gosami Maharaj Sheila Prabhupada Ki Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Ki Iskan BBT Founder Charja Sheila Prabhupada Ki Iskan Guru Parampara Ki Shri Rup Shri Sanatan Bhattaraganat Shri Jeeva Gopal Bhattadasaraganat Satkosami Prabhu Ki Namacharja Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Premzekoho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadha Shri Vasadi Gora Bhaktarinda Ki Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopa Gopinath Shamakun Radhakun Gidigovadana Ki Shri Vindamandama Ki Shri Maturadam ki, Shri Mayapurnavaduit dam ki, Shri Jagannath Puridam ki, Shri Shri Radha Kalachandi dam ki, Ganga Devi ki, Jamunamai ki, Tulsi Devi ki, Bhakti Devi ki, Samaveda Bhakta Brinda ki, Brihat Madanga Transcendental Book of Prasharam Distribution ki, Gora Premananda, Hari Hari Bo, all glories to the Assembly of Odis. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Namo Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pastaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamini Dinamade. Namaste Saraswati Devi Gurubadi Pachanine Navishesha Srinivari Pastatya Deshitani. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivanarottamam Devin Sarvatim Yasam Tato Jayam Udirayat Nasta Preshwa Badreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yuttama Shloke Bhakti Bhavari Naishtaki Grantara Simur Bhagavatam Ki Jai All of you who are listening from home, did you get your copy of the Srimad Bhagavatam out? I'm looking in on you. I know that you're, you have it or you do not. Not really. But it's nice if you have it so that you can read along. 
things stick with us when we not only use the sense of hearing, but use the sense of seeing. So when we hear the Bhagavatam and we also read the words that have been uh, dictated by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada, then they, they tend to stick with us more than just hearing or just reading. So we, use, we try to use all our senses, engage all of our senses. Today, as, as we stated earlier, we're going to be reading from chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Canto 1. And uh, our text today is going to be text number 4. We thank Achyuta Govinda Prabhu for coming in and, and uh, writing the verse on our board as he and his wife have been doing for quite some number of years now. Every day, putting the text on, the, on, our, on our whiteboard so that everyone who's present here in the temple room can read along with us. So text number four, and see if this sounds familiar to you. Narayanam namaskritya naram chayvanurottamam devin sadaswatim yasun tato jayam udiriyat. Did you hear that just a few moments ago? That's actually the text today. So this is this is a text that is quite often recited at the beginning of our discourse on the Srimad Bhagavatam. So let's uh, let's see. Why don't we uh, why don't we repeat this then? Let's do this line line by line. We'll read the Sanskrit, and I'll ask those of you who are present, those of you who are listening in, to please repeat it. Narayanam namaskritya, naram chayvanurottamam, deving sadaswatim yasan, tato jayam yat. Narayanam namaskritya Naram chaivanarotamam Devim saraswatim vyasan Tato jayam odirayat One more time. Narayanam namaskritya Naram chaivanarotamam Deving Saraswatim Vyasan Tato Jayam Oderiyat All right, word for word. Let's, I, I will speak the words and, and then we'll repeat them. Narayanam Narayanam The Personality of Godhead Namaha Kritya After offering respectful obeisances Naram chai, naram che, naram cha eva. And you notice, uh, the way it, this, this, uh, word is written on the board, it, uh, the words cha and eva are combined. You notice that? So that it's chaiva. So naram chaiva. And, and the, uh, the, uh, translation is, and Narayan Rishi. Repeat with me. And Narayan Rishi. Nara Uttamam. 
the supermost human being. Devim, the goddess. Sarasvatim, the mistress of learning. Vyasam, Vyasadev. Tata, thereafter. Jayam, all that is meant for conquering. Udirayat, be announced. So, the translation now into the English verse. Before reciting this Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the very means of conquest, one should offer respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead Narayan, unto Nara Narayan Rishi, the supermost human being, unto Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, and unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author. So repeat with me, please. Before reciting this Srimad Bhagavatam, Repeat. Which is the very means of conquest. One should offer respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead. Narayana. Unto Nara Narayan Rishi. The supermost human being. Unto Mother Saraswati. The goddess of learning. And unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author, and the purport, by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Kijai. All the Vedic literatures and the Puranas are meant for conquering the darkest region of material existence. The living being is in the state of forgetfulness of the, of his relation with God due to his being overly attracted to material sense gratification from time immemorial. His struggle for existence in the material world is perpetual, and it is not possible for him to get out of it by making plans. If he at all wants to conquer this perpetual struggle for existence, he must reestablish his eternal relation with God. And one who wants to adopt such remedial measures must take shelter of literatures such as the Vedas and the Puranas. Foolish people say that the Puranas have no connection with the Vedas. However, the Puranas are supplementary explanations of the Vedas intended for different types of men. All men are not equal. There are men who are conducted by the mode of goodness, others who are under the mode of passion, and others who are under the mode of ignorance. The Puranas are so divided that any class of men can take advantage of them and gradually regain their lost position and get out of the hard struggle for existence. Srila Sutta Goswami shows the way of chanting the Puranas. This may be followed by persons who aspire to be preachers of the Vedic literatures and the Puranas. Srimad Bhagavatam is the spotless Purana. And it is especially meant for them who desire to get out of the material entanglement permanently. Om Jnana Timbinandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksunun Melitam Dena Tasmai Shri Gurave Nama 
Shri Chaitanya Manavishtam Stapitam Jaina Bhutale Swayam Rupahakadamaya Dadati Swavarantikam Chant with me, please. Bande hum Shri Guru Shri Dutta Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavans Cha Shri Rupam Sagvatattam Sahagana Raganatan Mitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Padijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Mitams Cha he Krishna Karuna Sindho Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Taptakan Janagorangi Radhe Brindamadeshwari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vanchikalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhyevacha Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namah Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Dvaita Gadatha Shri Vasari Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Gantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai Nama Om Vishnu Vadaya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Shri Mate Tamal Krishna Gosamini Dinamane So today I want to continue uh, somewhat with the theme that we began speaking of the last time I was sitting here giving class, and that is the term envisioning. So what I want us to learn to do is to envision freedom. What does it feel like? to be free. What is, how, are, how are things changed? How is our perception of the world changed when we become free from this material existence? So envisioning freedom, then, is what we want to talk about right now. Um, there, was, there was a statement that was made in yesterday's purport. Jai Gauranga Prabhu gave, the, uh, gave a very nice class on the purport. And and the statement was something about uh, the the way that one gets out of this material existence is simply by desiring to get out. That's all. All you have to do to get out of this material existence is desire. Of course, desiring to get out then can lead to a number of of other um, activities. And so we want to talk about those a little bit. We have come into this material world. And so the question is quite often asked, how is it that we have come into this material world? If we were originally situated in the spiritual world with the Supreme Personality of Godhead and with three-fourths of the entire population of the material and spiritual worlds, in other words, only one-fourth of the population, it is said, is actually here stuck in this material world since time immemorial, going through birth after birth, lifetime after lifetime, species after species. We have taken our birth and, and thought that we were whatever that creature was in that species. 
So we we have started developing a desire to see and experience the marvels. In other words, while we're in this spiritual world, it is said that it was as though the material the material world, which is kind of situated over in one corner of the spiritual world, of course it's hard to imagine an infinite volume or an infinite um, infinite uh, universe or an infinite sky, let's say. It's hard to imagine an infinite sky which extends unlimitedly in all directions as having a corner. But it is said that the material world is like uh, situated in one corner of the spiritual world. And it consists of unlimited numbers of universes, uh, very much like the universe that we're in, except we understand that this universe that we're in is either the smallest or one of the smallest universes that emanates from the pores of the body of Mahavishnu. That is, Karunadakashayi Vishnu. He's one of the three Vishnu forms that Lord Krishna expands himself into to perform particular services or particular actions. And one of those actions of the Mahavishnu is to be the dwelling place, the residence of all the living entities and all the universes, which when he breathes in, uh, go back into the pores of his body. So we can only we can only try to imagine the enormous size of a personality whose body is so large that even from the pores of its skin, we think of hairs as growing out of the pores of our skin or something like that. And uh, but instead of hairs growing out of his body, he has he has universes coming out of the pores of his skin when he breathes out. So we have been in the spiritual world and we have witnessed this this uh, bright light on the horizon. It's like looking out uh, from your home at night and seeing a very bright spot on the on the horizon. And uh, maybe some of you have taken a trip through the desert. And, you know, you can see there's just numerous stars as you drive through the desert night. And with nobody else on the road, there's nothing around you but darkness except for the light that is above you coming from millions and millions and millions of bodies and that are celestial bodies above this this planet that we're on. And and so uh, if we if we're getting tired for the night and we see a bright light in, on the horizon, then we're very pleased because it might be a place that we can pull over and rest. Uh, in a protected place or a place that we can get a room for the night and rest so that we can continue on our journey. So we become attracted, it is said, to this bright light and we have a desire to find out what it is all about. Now, those of you who were with us uh, in, in, in the classes uh, during recent times, during the past few months, in which we've been reading from the 11th and 12th cantos, we read about a personality, a man, who lived for millions and millions and millions of years. And he would see the changes that went on uh, during all this time, during the rotation, the cycle of the four yugas. He lived during many of those during the Lord Brahma's day and night. 
And, and, uh, and so um, he, he was a celibate person, means that he had no connection with, with someone of the opposite sex, means that he was above the demands of the body, the pushings of the senses. And uh, the Lord was so kind upon him and so pleased with him becoming uh, remaining celibate for millions and millions of years, this man was, that he came and personally asked him, what do you want? What can I give you? I am very pleased with the fact that you have remained a celibate man. And so uh, the Lord was, uh, uh, he was a little, maybe he was a little surprised to hear what the man asked. And he says, I would like to see and understand your material energy. Now here he was, he's been living in this universe for millions of years uh, during the lifetime of Lord Brahma, and he's seen something of this material world. But he's still not satisfied, so he wants the Lord to show him. And so the Lord showed him uh, the the uh, partial destruction of the universe. And, and so this man was wandering for a very, very long period of time, uh, and we wonder how he, he did that through the raging waters of the partial devastation of this world. And then eventually he came upon a banyan tree, seated upon, see, seated upon a small island. And in one of the leaves of that banyan tree, there was a baby. And as he approached the baby, he found himself being drawn into the body of the baby. And as it turns out, then he saw all of the universes and, and, and so many things that are present that uh, are within the body of that baby. And, of course, we know that that baby was the Supreme Lord himself. So, anyhow, here was an example of a person who was already somewhat familiar with the material world, having been in it for a very long time. And yet, when the Lord asked him what he wanted to do, and the Lord heard his request, he, he, he said, so be it with a very rueful smile on his face. And that word rueful meant that he's, he has some regrets that this person would ask for such a boon, to see the a display of his, his material energy, to be able to understand it a little better. So this, this personality was very much like we are when we come into this material world. We develop a sense a desire to see and experience the marvels of this material world. So a lot of people, as we have heard about and perhaps we've known people, who have gone on uh, international cruises or uh, gone sightseeing, uh, you know, when they when they develop enough um, financial power that they can do that. They want to see more and more of this uh, this material world that we're in. They want to learn something about it. And yet, after all of those experiences, they come back home exhausted, and uh, they have a certain feeling of satisfaction that, yes, we've seen part of this world, but there's also probably the desire to go out and do it some more because we haven't seen everything. So we have that desire to stay in this material world and... Um, we have sometimes that desire granted by the Supreme Lord because he desires to please his devotees, the parts and parcels of his own person who are now in this material world 
and are lost because they have forgotten who they are and where they came from. And But because they have the desire to do that and the Lord has the desire to please them, so he allows them to see certain portions of this material world just so that they can spend part of their valuable human form of life uh, wandering around, uh, eating nice food, seeing nice people, and seeing wonderful uh, aspects of this material world, the mountains, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, the cities that have been built by man. They want to see all those things. But there's a problem with coming into this material world, and that is we lose the memory of the spiritual world, and we gain a new identity. And that identity depends entirely on the type of body we enter. And so it is said that the the spirit soul, the jiva soul, is so tiny, like one ten thousandth the tip of a hair. It's so tiny that it can even enter uh, within a very, very small space. But it especially, I mean, we're, we're thinking about single-cell amoebas, which are one of the life forms that inhabit this material world that we're into. So the spirit soul can enter even that single-cell creature, and it can enter different forms of plants and different forms of animals and even in the different forms of human beings. So it is said that there are 8,400,000 different species in which one can assume a body. And the, 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 most, uh, the, the, the one that is most um, uh, advantageous for one to enter, of course, is the human form. Because only in the human form can we begin making choices and asking questions. And those questions we've heard mentioned many times before, questions such as, who am I? Where did I come from? What is my relationship with this body? Uh, Is this body who I am? If it is, then what am I supposed to be doing in this body? What is my duty? What am I supposed to be, what activities am I supposed to be carrying out while I'm in this body? And finally, uh, why is it that I have to give up this body at the time of what we call death? Why is it that I have to give up this body? I don't desire to go into non-existence. In other words, I don't desire for my existence to cease. I want to keep on living. But why is it that I have to change bodies? Why is is it that I have to go from this material body into some other kind of material body? And I don't know what it's going to be. I don't seem to have any choice. But the fact is that we do have a choice. Because the Lord is not forcing us to stay in this material world and take birth again and again and again. So, He allows that which is inferior. So, what do, we, what do we mean by that? The material energy of the Lord is definitely inferior to the superior energy of the Lord. And some say that there's no difference, that the material energy and the spiritual says there, the Lord has no, nothing, no aspect which is material, except when he chooses to create the material world which can be perceived by the material senses of the bodies that his living entities take. So, um, he recognizes then that the desire of the individual is to have pleasure. And why is that so? 
Because pleasure is one of the qualities, one of the characteristics that is with us eternally, regardless of whether we come into this material world or whether we stay in the material world. We're pleasure-seeking people. means that we're, we're eternal, we're full of knowledge in our original condition, and we're also full of bliss in our original condition. And so, even though we come into this material world and accept the material body, still, the desire is there to seek pleasure. And so, the Lord provides everything in this material world that we need to make us happy. But then, He sets up rules for pursuing a happy life. He creates a situation in which pleasure can be sought, but then he makes rules. And in the Bhagavad Gita, it is said that the human being is expected to cooperate with the demigods and to perform sacrifices for the, for the pleasure of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And in doing so, one can actually become happy. So, uh, in addition to having the rules for pursuing the, in other words, where there are rules, if one does not follow the rules, then there have to be some consequences. Because otherwise, how would one know that one has not acted properly or not followed the rules properly? So the Lord has set up all of this uh, for the purpose of engaging the living entity in this material form of life. He wanted to leave, we wanted to leave the spiritual world to take a look at this material energy of the Lord and see what it was all about. So because the Lord, is his, his intent, his desire is to always bring pleasure to his parts and parcels. When we desire to come into this material world, he not only permits it, but he gives everything that is required for living a pleasant life in this material world. So then there is, a, uh, after the living entity has gone through many, many lifetimes and comes back to the human form of life, he once again gets the opportunity to ask the questions that human beings ask. And without asking these questions then, the living entity is in a position that is no better than those that are in the animal form of life. Because in the animal form of life, in the plant form of life, there is no opportunity for the living entity to ask the questions, who am I, where did I come from, what am I supposed to be doing, what happens to me after, I, after the demise of this body? When this body is finished, then what happens to me? Am I going to, is, is my existence also finished? Am I going to die? I want to continue living because that's one of the qualities of the living entity, that we want to continue living because we're, by nature, eternal. Just as God is eternal, just as Krishna is eternal, just as Lord Vishnu is eternal, so the living entity, the jiva soul, is also eternal. So we desire then, after a period of time, we desire uh, to uh, return to the spiritual realm. But how does that desire come about? Well, we, uh, we, we enjoy uh, the company of persons who are our friends. And, uh, and so when, when that desire comes up, we begin looking and asking questions from our friends and from the others that we know. Maybe they're not our friends, but they're acquaintances. And we can ask them the question, what is this all about? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? 
And, and so, um, what, what do we, what, how do we, how do we, uh, get that desire to go back into the spiritual? First of all, we, it's necessary that we come into the presence of one who is on the path of liberation. In other words, someone who is farther along this path, who has more knowledge than we do. And so whenever we do come into the presence of, of such a person, we do what is the usual thing to do whenever we find someone or something that is very intriguing. We start asking questions. Well, now, what, what are you doing? Who are you? Where did you come from? Where did you get this knowledge? And so we began reading and hearing about our original position. In other words, when we come into contact with one who knows where we have come from and, and can supply us a book or a magazine that has information about it, of course we're going to be interested in that because that becomes our, our, really, our main goal. If we became interested in this material world just by seeing a glow of light on the horizon, we could only imagine our desire to go back into that spiritual world that we've come from once we start hearing about the glories of that place and the glories of the living entities who live in that place and the glories of that person who is in charge of not only that place, but this place as well. So we, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of surprising to me, folks, that many people in this material world don't have a very, very well-developed conception of who that person is that controls everything. As a matter of fact, they look at the mountains and they look at the skyscrapers and cities and they look at rivers, gigantic rivers like the Mississippi River, which I cross over each time I go over to Mississippi to visit with relatives and also sometimes to go to the farm that we have in, in southern Mississippi. Cross over this gigantic river, the Mississippi River, which is a very large river. And so we look at those things and we say, how can anybody have the power to create such things? Uh, sure, mankind might create a skyscraper, which is a hundred feet high, or maybe even more than that, uh, maybe even up into the hundreds of feet high. How is it possible that one person uh, can do that, even with the knowledge that we have nowadays? It's a, it's a mystery. It's a marvel to us, isn't it? When we see, when we see, for example, on television, there are some very interesting programs in which uh, the the building of these gigantic structures is analyzed, and we're, we're, we are shown how, how how human beings can go out and find iron ore, and then and purify that and change it into iron or steel, and then this steel can be. Uh, put together in certain ways that it can form like the skeleton of a large building. And on that skeleton of a building, then all kinds of different materials might be used to enclose it. And then all kinds of equipment can be used uh, from manufacturing sources to make the buildings warm in the wintertime or to make them cool in the summertime. And these are amazing things that human beings have been given the intelligence to accomplish. But are they amazing compared to the largest mountain we have in, in our northern hemisphere? You know which one that is? In, in, uh, in the United States and Canada, this is the northern, considered to be the northern hemisphere. 
and it's uh, and so um, maybe the northern part of the western hemisphere. Maybe we should say like that: if we divide the world into two places, we got the eastern hemisphere or the eastern half, and we got the western half. So we're in the western half, and 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 in this hemisphere, then we've got the the uh, the North North American continent, and on this continent we've got a mountain that's in the state of, of that is now owned by the United States. Used to be owned by Russia. It's called Alaska. And when this was purchased many years ago by the Secretary of State, whose name was Seward, it became known as Seward's Folly. He paid a whopping, I think, twenty four million dollars to Russia for this frozen wasteland called Alaska. And now we know that this is one of the most valuable purchases that has ever been made by the United States. It's got, it has minerals, it has beauty beyond imagination, and people who eat the flesh of animals and fish, uh, they get a lot of their, their food substances from up in that, up around that, that country, uh, that, uh, that state. And so we, there's a mountain that is on in the state of Alaska. It is called uh, Mount McKinley, or actually the Native American name for that mountain is Denali. So Mount Denali is the highest point in the northern part of our western hemisphere. It's, uh, it reaches, has two peaks. One is 19,600 feet, something like that. And the other peak is like 21,000 feet. So it's amazing to see this big mountain coming up out of the surface of the earth uh, among another a group of mountains that are a mere 12,000, 14,000, maybe even 17,000 feet high that look like just kind of like uh, decorations around the base of this gigantic white behemoth that is known as Mount Denali. And so people look at those kinds of things in our in our world and they wonder how can any person how can anybody have the strength have the power have the resources for creating such a thing so it's very difficult for people who come into this material world and accept even the human form of life to understand that there is someone powerful enough that everything that we see around us is coming from his own body, his material energy, as we call it. And it's material only in the sense that is perceivable to us by our five senses, which can only perceive that which is material. So that's the way we distinguish material from spiritual, isn't it? Uh, if we can detect it with our five senses, then it's material. But when it goes beyond our senses and the instruments like radio transmitters and receivers, and it, it goes beyond our five senses, but still it is available to our senses by the use of this equipment, then uh, then that part of, of what we're witnessing and that we're perceiving is what we call the material energy of the Lord. Everything else that is transcendental to that or which is spiritual is not perceivable by our five material senses. And so, therefore, the topmost scientists in this world say that there is nothing else besides that which we can perceive with our five senses. Anything else is the is due to the fertile imagination of someone who considers himself to be a spiritualist or a transcendentalist. 
And the scientists would have us believe that this is just uh, the uh, the creations of someone's imagination. And that's uh, some of the smartest people on the planet. Some of the people in, in who have the greatest intelligence of any of us human beings. So we read and hear about our original position in that original spiritual world that we come from. And uh, we, and of course, we have to do that from someone who already has perceived it, who is experiencing it, such a person as Srila Prabhupada. And because Srila Prabhupada has come and has given us literature and has given us classes on uh, uh, which have to do with that which is transcendental, then we have we hold a certain uh, a person like that with a certain kind of respect that we don't give to any other living entity because he has told us about our real nature and and about the struggle that we're having in this material world and about the the world that we have come from which does not have such struggle as this does not have anxiety it is free from anxiety so this is this is the reason then that we hold our spiritual master and and uh, our spiritual masters our entire uh, iskan guru parampara our disciplic succession going all the way back to the supreme personality of godhead is that in is that they uh, the reason we have such respect for persons who are representing that supreme person is that they give us the information that we need to make a choice. And we're intelligent people. We can make a choice. If we know what the options are, we can make a choice that is in our best interest, can't we? So the problem that the world faces right now throughout the world is that it doesn't know what the choices are. It only knows what it can perceive. The persons know what they can perceive with their material senses. And so it's only by the grace of someone like Srila Prabhupada who, who resides above the five senses. It's only because of him then that we can have the choice of either staying in this material world or going back to the spiritual world. So we have the choice of going or staying. It's up to us. And what, what was it that, uh, that Jaya Goranga Prabhu was talking about yesterday? He read in, in the Prabhupada's purports that the only thing that you need to get out of this material world is a desire to get out of this material world. And everything else falls into place once you have that desire. Why does it do that? Because Krishna can read what is in your heart. He knows what it is you desire. And as soon as you have the desire to reawaken your consciousness and reawaken your knowledge of where you have come from and who the Supreme Person is, uh, once once that happens, Krishna Krishna makes it available to you, gives you the knowledge that you need, gives the people that you need to be around to put you back into that position that you have left so many lifetimes ago that you can't even remember it. All you can remember is what goes on in this lifetime. And in this age of Kali, our memories are so poor that it's really difficult for us to remember the names of a person that we met five minutes ago. What to speak of what we have done a year ago, or 10 years ago, or 50 years ago. Sometimes we have little smatterings of remembrance of, of what, what has gone on in our lives. But uh, Krishna then, he will, he will awaken our memory of who we are and where we've come from. 
And how does he do that? He can do it as super soul from within, or what is what is more likely for most of us, he does it through the agency of a person who is his representative. Now, how much does he love the person who acts as his representative? He loves him so much that if, if someone does some little bit of service for that personality, it means so much to Krishna himself. Because it's, he takes that as being, as, as being more loving than doing it for himself. Because he's God. He's got all the opulences. And if we were to see him, we would, we would want to do anything for him. But when we see a person walking around who is his representative, and, and, and we come to know that he represents this supreme personality, then Krishna considers this person to be more valuable than himself. And he, he says that if, 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 anyone, uh, if anyone misuses or criticizes such a personality, uh, he, he, would, he, would, uh, he would cut off his right arm uh, if, if he himself uh, uh, caused any problems at all for those persons who are representing him in this, in this material world. So he wants us to have the association of persons like that. And so he sends persons like Srila Prabhupada from time to time to give us the knowledge that we would not be able to get otherwise. We have no source of that knowledge except for one who has that knowledge of the, of the Supreme Lord. So what, what are we expected to do then? Once we have knowledge, um, and Krishna wants us to do what? He wants us to give it away. He says, all right, I'm going to give you something very valuable, but the only way you can keep it is to give it away. And so he sees all the other living entities in this material world and different species of life uh, struggling and trying to become happy and having very little success at it. And any success they have is very brief. It's almost, practically speaking, it's almost momentary, uh, just like a mother taking care of her baby. Uh, occasionally the baby feels good when he wakes up from a nap and he's got a clean diaper on and he, and he's, and he's just had some nice food put into his mouth and he's all smiling and happy. So Krishna wants us to be happy like that, but he doesn't want us to have, to have that temporary experience of happiness that every mother knows very well and father too. Sometimes the fathers get, they take great pleasure and seeing their kids happy and smiling, because that means that they're happy. It means the baby is happy. So Krishna wants us to be happy, just like a mother wants her child to be happy. He doesn't want to see us suffer any more than a mother wants to see her child suffer with a sore throat or with an earache or something else, something other problems that he's having, digestive problems or some of the kind of problems. So if a mother has that much love for her child... And a father has that much love for his child. We can only imagine how much love the Supreme Personality of Godhead has for us. He wants us back. He wants us back into the spiritual. Why? Because he kind of enjoys our company, it is said. He enjoys having us there. And he wants us to become happy again. And so what does he do? He presents a vision of our original residence. So we were talking at the beginning of this of this discourse 
about envisioning freedom. So that means that, um, as we've said in the past, in order to accomplish anything in this material world, we have to have a vision of what it is that we want to accomplish. And then we have to set about to make that vision become a reality. And so Srila Prabhupada, when he was talking on the park bench, and I mentioned this the last time that I spoke in here, when he was sitting on the park bench and, and some very fortunate fellow came up and sat down beside him and was asking him questions, Srila Prabhupada told him that uh, that I, we have many huge temples all over the world. And of course, Srila Prabhupada knew that those temples were not presently existing. But he had the vision that they would, they would once, that sometime in the future they would become a reality. And so we see that that has actually happened within the 12 years that Srila Prabhupada was on the planet. And he was traveling all over the world trying to remind people of where they have come from and who they are. He began uh, inspiring people to get the funds together, to get all of the plans together, to get the personnel together to create these magnificent structures, these temples, such as the one here in Dallas, Texas. This was an old building at one time. And so it was present when Prabhupada was present, but it did not have the form that it has now. That all began to change back in the late 70s and the early 80s. Whenever uh, Prabhupada, after Prabhupada had left the planet, uh, then his disciples, who were very much dedicated to seeing his movement increase, they began to take old buildings like this and and reconstruct them so that they look like something out of India, something out of the Vedic civilization of thousands of years ago. And it's very beautiful using the modern materials that people have today. And all of this work that we're seeing in this temple room were done by devotees of the Lord, by young men who were here, uh, uh, coming at the behest of of uh, His Holiness, Tamal Krishna Goswami, when he came in 1978-79. He came to Dallas and Houston, and as a result of his coming, this temple room now looks like something that is uh, out of the pages of, an, of a book on Indian temples. It's a very beautiful place to come, and as soon as a person walks in the door of this temple, he can feel the transcendental presence of something uh, extremely extraordinary here. And then if, if the curtains are open and he sees the deity form of the Lord, then you realize that this, this place is, is, is very special. I don't understand it perhaps, but it's a very special place. So when Krishna inspires his devotees to do wonderful things in this material world, it is for the purpose of making them happy and also for giving others the inspiration to take up this transcendental spiritual practice that has been brought to us by the person who came as the representative of Krishna, His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna. With this, we end our discourse for the day. And if there are any questions or comments that anyone who is present here, I'm sorry that those of you who are listening in online or who are hearing this in our archived versions uh, after the class has been given, usually about 10 o'clock at night, Prema Sindhu Prabhu uh, is, is a very, very loyal person to, 
take the recordings and put them on to uh, different media. And so if you go to radhakalachanji.com, then you can you can find your way gradually to find uh, to see the archived classes and archived celebrations that are being held in Tupperum. So, uh, were there any comments or questions that anyone would like to pose at this time? And once again, I'm very sorry that those of you who are listening in for some distance can't pass your questions or comments along to us. But anyhow, we'll we'll stop now and and uh, and thank everyone for your kind attention for being with us. We thank you for taking part of your day and spending it with us here in the Temple Room in Dallas, Texas. And we will offer our obeisances to all the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord who just like desire trees, who fulfill the desires of everyone, and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Vanchakalpata rubyascha, kripasanuvyevacha, patitanam pavanibyo, vaishnavibyo namo namo, anantakoti vaishnavrinda ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Shishi Radha Kalachanji Dham ki jai. Gaura Premananda, Hari Hari Bo. So we wish everyone to have a, a wonderful Tuesday and uh, hope that you get a lot done, that you're very productive. And that you also remember to set aside some time for chanting and reading. So that at the end of this lifetime, you go back to Godhead and you take a whole bunch of people with you. Hare Krishna.